Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I am Phil Ling. I'm the host, and I'm also the founder of The Giving Church. You can go find more about us at thegivingchurch.com. We have been blessed through this whole pandemic. We have a podcast called The Giving Leader. You're listening to it, and it goes out, and primarily it's leaders across the country, hundreds and hundreds of leaders, church leaders, ministry leaders, and we are trying to stay on topic, which is deal in the trenches, deal with the real stuff that you're dealing with. And we've tried to do that from everything from talking about the mapping, how they came up with the mapping, how that actually can tell us where it is and is not going and how that affects you. And we talked the last couple of episodes, we touched on the PPP program, which if you watch the news or you read online, you've been trying to keep up with, which is payroll protection program. And we told you from the earliest stages, this is one of the, where I get to say, I told you so. We told you from the earliest stages that churches did qualify. And after some, some fighting and haranguing with the SBA and others, it is true. And we'll touch on that for a minute, even talk to a, a church that has already received their check. Remember the payroll protection program. The whole idea is small businesses, 30 million small businesses in the country. There are about 1.5 million nonprofits out there. 360,000 churches out there, all under that umbrella of SBA, Small Business Administration. And this particular administration made sure in the earliest stages, give credit where credit is due, that churches qualified. You as a 501c3 nonprofit, you are a small business. If you've got fewer than 500 employees, you can qualify to get some help and pay some payroll for two and a half months. It's theoretically to take you through like June 20th. But it was first come, first serves, $349 billion originally set aside. That's going very, very quickly. You had to get in line. We've been talking to you about how to do that, to talk to your bankers, what to say. And literally hundreds of you have done it, have talked to us about it. So we'll, we'll recap that. But here is my guest. Um, I, I really have been looking forward to this, not just because he's a friend, but because of what he's knee deep in doing. Uh, Sean Case is the executive pastor at Southbrook Christian Church, Miamisburg, Ohio. That is basically Greater Dayton. And Southbrook's a longtime friend and client, their church of 5,000 plus. Uh, now, with everybody online, who knows? You know, everybody is exploding with their reach, their ability electronically. But one of the things I wanted to bring Sean on to talk about is what they are experiencing and how they're doing church. And let me set this precedent before I, or this, this stage before I ask Sean some questions. Um, here's what I've been telling my clients. And I realize it's, it's, it is regional. I've got clients in Pasadena, California, and Long Island, New York, and everywhere in between. That some areas are worse than others. New York, you know, you've seen the news. Uh, Seattle, Washington, you've seen the news. There's some New Orleans. But when they start opening the economy back up and when they start allowing folks to get back out, it's not going to be business as usual. And so if the National Football League and Major League Baseball and the NBA and college football, everybody is trying to figure out what they can do this fall with large gatherings. They're already saying, hey, I don't even know if we can have people in the stands. This is for the fall. If that's true, then if you're a church leader and you are thinking that this was an April thing, or it's an April, May thing, I believe you're going to be really caught in a bad spot. I think that when they start unrolling in your states, they may come down and say, well, you can't meet until September. Or maybe you can start meeting in smaller settings, but you can't have 500 people in a room or 1,000 people in a room, some of your, your worship settings. 
how are you going to deal with that? So everything we're going to talk about in doing ministry today with the pandemic and with the uh, coronavirus, all the things we're dealing with, I don't believe is just for this week in April. I don't believe it's just for the next three or four weeks. I believe, depending on where you are in the United States, you're going to be dealing with, and we have people listening internationally, you're going to be dealing with this to varying degrees. So that's why I wanted to grab Sean, because they are at the, the forefront. Uh, Southbrook is a creative, innovative place, and they have been quick to adopt change. But at the same time, just like you and me, they're dealing with how do we make payroll? And what if we can't pay everybody? And how do we restructure? And can everybody work from home? Or can do some folks need to be in the facility? How do we go through all that? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. First of all, let me welcome, he's been listening and being very patient. Sean, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, strange times, uh, but uh, in a weird way, invigorating. I mean, it's, it's making us rethink everything. You, you uh, one thing's been unique about you guys early on when I first started working with you umpteen years ago was that you would point back, you and Charlie, senior pastor, would point back and say, hey, 9-11 changed how we did stuff. Because when 9-11 happened, you guys grew rapidly as people came to a gathering place. This, I've been telling everybody, is completely different than anything we've experienced because it's like you can't come gather. Right, right. Yeah, in fact, once 9-11 hit, uh, we, that's really what launched us. And we really didn't look back until probably the last couple of years uh, to where we didn't start shrinking, but we, we maintained. Uh, and which we felt not not great about because you know you get used to growing and you want to keep growing uh but when the rest of the world stops going to church and you're maintaining we thought that was good but but that wasn't enough so that's when we first i think connected with you guys uh wanted to expand on our property build some things but we also wanted to do a multi-site which you told us not to do uh, <laughs> now go on, right, first of all let's go on record because a lot of my clients have multi-site i'm not against multi-site i was against their version of it <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's that's true so so we we did it uh and closed it down a year later and came back and and i think one of the things you encourage us to do is you said hey one thing you guys have is you have space you have land you know a lot of times you multi-site because you're out of space you guys have space so we started thinking about you know, what happened at the 9-11, and we, we, didn't, we didn't have space. We couldn't fill it up. We were running, at times, six, seven services a weekend, which was awful. So we started looking at our infrastructure, and any room that we could gather in that was 100 or more, uh, we set up to where we could have the same experience going on in the main theater. We could broadcast uh, to all of them. So we've got lots of flexibility that, you know, to date we – we haven't really got a chance to use yet because nobody can, can gather. Okay, so, and, and that's, when they talk about multi-site, they are, for those that are listening, if you go and go onto the website, look at southbrook.org, uh, they have multiple venues on their own property. They're sitting on 40 acres, they got plenty of parking, and they have multiple venues within that, that electronically they can hook up and and literally have four and five uh, different rooms going at the same time, which will play into what we're going to talk about in a minute. But, but so this whole thing hits. Um, Ohio, where you're at in Ohio, was not like on the forefront. You were at the tip of the spear. So you guys, I remember early on, you're like, okay, is this thing real? Are we really going to have a pandemic or not? Right. And 
But the Ohio governor jumped on it, started making the decisions about can you have groups gathering over 50, over 100, over 250. You know, we had all these different numbers thrown around. Eventually can't do it. What, tell, take me through your thought process when you sat down, because your job is you lead the staff. You're responsible as executive pastor for a very large ministry. What, what was your thought process of how do I deploy my forces, that kind of thing? Well, we had a feeling that at some point they were probably going to say we couldn't meet. We were watching what was going on at other parts of the country and parts of the world. So DeWine, Governor DeWine would come on at two o'clock. So we'd watch those to kind of wait and see what he was going to say. So the first weekend that we thought there might be something, he, he closed down a lot of things, but he didn't say churches couldn't meet. So then we had to decide, do we meet? Do we not meet? And, and, and looking back, fortunately, we, we didn't meet. Uh, but, you know, we had a, at that point, we called all our staff together, which looking back, we didn't know not to do that, but we had this big <laughs> pizza party and I pretty much uh, put, put everybody in, in one of our venues. And I said, Hey, as of today, we no longer exist like we've been existing, uh, until this pandemic, we're on the other side of that or, or, or things change. Uh, we're flatlining the whole organization. So, you know, your, your, your boss was no longer your boss. Uh, the department you're in no longer exists. And we basically split it up into four areas. And we said counseling is going to be huge. We have a free pastoral counseling uh, situation. So we thought we know that is going to be big. Uh, we came up with this term and it, I, we just called it stream team because we knew overnight we've got to get really good at broadcasting and connecting electronically. Uh, and then we, we're, we've historically been good at feeding people, so we created a, a food team. And then our, our building, we have uh, several of our hourly workers need to work, and we thought we can't really send them home because what they do is take care of our building. So we put together a building team. Uh, I basically said, there's four corners. Here's your leader. I signed a new leader. Some were surprised, some were not. And I said, figure out what you are going to look like uh, over the next couple of weeks, realizing this is going to change daily, weekly, monthly. And oh, by the way, uh, we're shutting down all your credit cards, except for the four leaders uh, and mine. I kept mine open as well. <laughs> so we no longer, there's no longer a budget. There's not a children's ministry budget. There's not a missions budget. There are budgets for these four areas uh and let's try to be as frugal because we don't know we don't know what you know we're, we're like every church we we rely on the generosity of the people that come we didn't know what the economy was going to do we didn't know i mean you guys helped us get pretty robust uh lean group get with uh online giving but still at that point we were you know i think we're 67 68 percent recurring, which, you know, you budget on a hundred percent, you know, so <laughs> we, we, we didn't know what to expect. So we just said, Hey, let's, let's limit our expenses and let's, you know, trust and pray and try to be smart. Okay. So let me hit, hit a few things through this. So, uh, you, you, for those that are listening, cause you got staff, everybody, if you're not thinking about how do I keep my staff? I mean, that that's your job. That's one of your jobs is how do I, how do I make sure that I'm, I'm shepherding those folks? So some of those were like hourly. So you're looking at the facilities. Still got to take care of the facility, stay with social distancing, but how do we use those folks? Others that can work from home, you know, some have jobs, they can, they can do that. They can work from home. And of course, it's going to be different how they do that. Um, the 
one of the pieces, and I just want to touch on this because I did at the beginning of this episode, was PPP, because we were talking with you early on that with every church we talk to, get in line, sign up, try to get that two and a half months to help you with payroll for this to bridge through this transition. You guys did. Uh, and when you first started talking, like so many, your bank said you didn't qualify, right? Right. Yeah. So I first heard about it on, on your podcast. Uh, and I have a director of finance, a real sharp guy. And I said, Jared, I said, hey, this, this, they say it's real. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm always pretty skeptical till it hits. So he went to work because there's, there's quite a few hoops that you had. To, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of work, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly. So he spent his week uh, with his two young hyperactive kids at home, you know, <laughs> working through this, working with HR, getting all that paperwork ready. And talking to a bank, we've got a real good relationship with our banker and talking to you guys, you know, touching base along the way. And it got, you know, closer to like Thursday, Friday, and our banker started saying, hey, we, this, this isn't happening for churches. And we're like, well, what do you, what do you mean it's not happening? <laughs> so basically, we, we started calling them, I'm not exaggerating, every 30 minutes, uh, Till like 11, 12 o'clock at night. I see, and I just said, hey, what's going to happen? This is going to drop off because they're being told that they can't process our money. And I thought they've got plenty of work to do. I don't want them to forget about us. So he kept on it, kept on it. Saturday morning, he said, hey, it's looking like it's going to be a no-go. And, you know, it was frustrating. We, you know, God was blessing us through it. So it wasn't like we're going to close the door if this doesn't happen, but it sure would be nice because we don't know when this is going to end. Uh, and then uh, we got a call a little bit later. They accepted our application. Some pressure was put on them and it looks like it's going to happen. And then uh, processed it. And I, last Friday I got a, I got a, a text from him saying, Hey, check, you know, check your email. And we had the check deposited. So uh, okay, so I don't think they can take it back. So. <laughs> okay, so here's here's where I want to camp with this for a minute. So you guys are listening because you're all over the country, and I know philosophically in different places. We talk to churches every day. Uh, the PPP, which was all, for all small businesses, and Trump administration says, "Hey, churches and nonprofits are part of that too." And so you you applied, and it was handled through the SBA, which they had some some going back and forth because the SBA had never dealt with people like churches. And But you got it through your local banker, which I think was the genius of the whole program. So you went through your local banker. And some of you that had small, more local banks even did better than those that were dealing with the big ones that were trying to figure out if they're going to be part of it or not. Philosophically, I know some of you guys have wrestled with it. I wanted Sean to talk to it because he actually did it, worked it, wrangled it, and they got the check. So it does work. I didn't make all this up. Second is some have told us, that well, we don't think necessarily we should apply because it's a loan. I'm just going to tell you where I am. I'm just telling you where I am. as old pastor dude, philosophically, I pay taxes. I pay a lot of taxes. Um, everybody in your church, if your church like Sean's, you got 5,000 people there, Easter's 10,000. That's a whole lot of tax paying people. And the PPP says, Hey, you know what? We are going to, because this is a pandemic where we force you to shut down and it is actually going to hurt you, maybe even kill you. We're going to allow you to apply for a loan that 94.7% of it is forgiven if you just keep everybody employed that you have employed now through June 20th. If we help you with the money, will you just keep them employed? So in my world, I'm like, hey, 
how do you do that? And if you got, and then if you're going to pay, there is a way to get hundred percent of it. But if you are going to pay the 5% back, it's at a 4% interest that doesn't start for a long time. So I looked at it as, you know what? I don't see any reason spiritually we cannot, theologically, we cannot do this. Some of you also were worried that, well, that will invite the federal government in and they'll start telling us how we do our ministries and who we can hire or not hire. Uh, Tim Cooper that works with me, we're reaching out to the Seculo group, Jay Seculo and others, because I've heard them and I've got all their stuff, and that is not true. And they are the ACLJ, if you want to do a little research online with those folks. But I just wanted to touch on that. We'll leave it alone and, and go from there, that it does work. It worked for them. It's working for a lot of churches around the country. Uh, you guys are doing ministry differently. Tell me just for a minute, so everybody knows, you already were in the world of helping feed people. You've got right. a, a ministry on your property called BOG, B-O-G. Right. Tell, me, tell me how that normally works and what you guys are doing now. Okay, well, it's B-O-G-G is because of God's grace. They uh, started out as a ministry uh, within Southbrook. And what we do with ministries that, that feel like they're going to get some traction and be robust is we quickly help them become a 501c3. Uh, so they are actually housed in our building. They do mobile food pantries and they provide about 12,000 meals a month to families in the Dayton area to, with food insecurity. So right when this happened, we, we of course went to them and we said, Hey, uh, people are going to need food. We want to help food to help us solve this. And they gave us, uh, some things they would do, but what they said, Hey, quite frankly, we are anticipating we are going to get slammed. Uh, keeping up with the need in Dayton. And it, as it looks back, it, they, they did. Uh, they want, their numbers went up 60%. Uh, and they're also limited because they deal with the food bank. They can be in certain counties. And we just thought, man, we want to we wanna help people uh, that, that need help. So right away, uh, uh, some people on staff made some phone calls, and we partnered with another organization called Shoes for the Shoeless, which in the Dayton area, what they do, they provide, uh, you know, homeless uh, school children that can't afford it, uh, undocumented, anybody who basically is the lower income that can't get shoes. And they already had their databases, they had their home addresses, and they said, if you could help collect food, uh, that would be great. So essentially, Phil, what we did is you've, you've been in our atrium, uh, we turned it into a Kroger. You know, we put the need out and people would come drop it off. We'd fill it up and we have, it, it looks like a grocery store, smells like a grocery store. And we started uh, putting boxes that was three weeks worth of food. And we've gotten through our second round now, preparing for our third round of 1,600 families. Uh, we've fed, uh, we've given supplies for twice with Choose for the Shoeless. Uh, another, another people group or population we work with is uh, exotic dancers in the area. We try to show them, you know, the love of Christ through building relationships with them. And there's a club fairly close to us that has a little over 300 dancers. Uh, wow. That right away we're out of work. And what we found out they were going to be doing is heading to West Virginia. That was one place they could go. And, you know, that no, nobody that I know of dances in Dayton because they love it. You know, if you're, if you're in that line of work, man, you, you need money. Uh, so we reached out to them and we started uh, contacting them and delivered 
Uh, we're working with about 60 families, and that's probably going to double the next time we go out because a lot of these dancers, they have, you know, they have, they have small children. They have, you know, they have situations, and, and in many ways, they're being, they're being shunned. So we thought this is a great opportunity to really reach out to them. In fact, at Easter, we had a special Easter service catered just towards uh, them. It was really, you know, online service, really, really cool uh, with that. And then, uh, gosh, we've also uh, adopted a women's recovery center. They had a little bit different needs. They had a, you know, a lot of them needed more uh, diapers and formula and, you know, food wasn't their issue. So within that, we've, you know, we've been trying to feed and meet people's needs. Well, here's, here's what I want all our listeners to get. I, you don't have to copy what Sean says. You don't have to say, I want to do what, the, what Southbrook's doing. We're going to find the, the, the kids that don't have shoes and reach out and use that database so we can give food or the exotic dancers or whatever. But here's what I'm telling you. This is the Giving Leader Podcast. I believe in the generosity. I believe generous leaders are the best leaders. Generous churches and ministries are the best ministries. If you, during this time, can be externally and not inward focused, that you can practice open hand generosity and look for ways to find people that are falling through the cracks. I talked on the podcast in the past, and I know some of you are doing it. I said, make a list if you're, maybe you got a church of 300 people, triage them and go through who's hourly, who's the first ones that are going to be laid off. Who's not going to have anything or it's going to take forever to get in the, the unemployment line and get something to start working. And what if you went to him and said, Let, can we do a, a month's worth of groceries for you all? While you're, we can't pay you. We can't pay your rent and all those kind of things, but we can do this piece. Find the niche and, and, and meet it. Find the piece. Because if you do that, I believe, it is my humble but accurate opinion, I believe that you are the ones that will financially flourish as a ministry as well. I think that you will be blessed. I think I can prove that from the churches and ministries that I'm talking to. The ones that are going to struggle are the ones that when this happens, get online, send out emails, do video blogs and say, man, it's going to be tough. We still need your tithes. We got mortgages. We have payroll. Well, that's true. But the people that you're talking to have all those struggles too. And instead, if what Sean's examples say, let's look around who are the, the ones that are going to fall through the cracks first, who are the neediest of the needy around us, what can we do for them, and then talk to your whole church body, this is what we're doing, then you're going to have a lot of those folks that do have jobs, do have the ability say, I want to help with that. that that's the connection I want you to see. I, I thought that the, the whole online church service for exotic dancers that are unemployed sounds kind of weird. But who's going to be falling through the cracks quicker? I, you know, they're, they're not there because it's glamorous. And they saw it on an HBO show and it seemed cool. They're, they're struggling. It's trying to pay uh, rent for the over, uh, their overhead or feed their kids. And if you're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, how could we do that? Those people that are in the school system, we've got a, a, a church out in California that meets in schools, big church. One of the first things they did was meet with the principals and the superintendent and said, hey, in those schools where we normally rent and meet, can you help us find the list of the families that are going to struggle the most so we can reach out and help them with food and other items? That's what I wanted. That's the reason I wanted to bring Sean on and talk about that. Uh, you said, just to make sure we don't lose the numbers, 1,600 families. Right. Yeah, already done it twice. Right. And so you, you'll do it. And I assume, don't know, but 
as the word of that grows, you can anticipate it may grow as far as who shows up. Our next one's going to, we already know it's going to double. Uh, wow. And that, we're not, Phil, here's the crazy part. I mean, that's one of the things we did right away too, is we called through uh, everybody, uh, all our volunteers first. And then we started calling through our database and asked if they had needs, prayers, concerns, et cetera. So we, we, you know, we believe first thing we need is take care of the people uh, right. that are in our community. The crazy part of all this is we haven't spent money out of our missions or benevolence budget. This is all people bringing food to our church that we can then redistribute uh, because you can't go into a store with $2,000 and buy food. You know, it, it, right. wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be possible to do that. So this, is, this has just been the generosity of people. Uh, like you said, when you make the ask, they're responding because it's something they can do. They can go out. You know, we put a list of here's what we need. They can do that. You know, if they're working and, and have the means and, and, and they can make a difference. And then, we, you know, we tell the stories back to them. And it's, it's been huge. In fact, we've had people who have sent us checks and said, hey, we, you know, we can't get out and do this. So, you know, what can we do with this? So we had to look for other ways that we could spend their money. Uh, and one of the things we did is we uh, a ministry partner we've had for a number of years, uh, crossroadsmissions.org. They, they, Rob Mitten, he's the director. He's, he's brilliant. And he looked at these surgical mask situations and he's got an embroidery shop anyway that offsets his ministry. He said, hey, I think I can make a better mask. So they, he started teaming up with doctors and surgeons and manufacturing and uh, they've already made 50,000 surgical grade masks that they've distributed in the Louisville area. And I was like, hey, I've got some money that I can't spend on food. So as of today, we made the decision we're going to start. He's, he's walking us through it. He's going to help us start manufacturing the surgical mask because there's a huge need here. What we found is usually you go in with a procedure, you get a mask, you throw it away, you get a new mask, you know, and, and the way things were. Now they started issuing one mask a day in these hospitals. And now in some places they're saying, hey, you've got this mask, it's gotta last three days and you can't keep up with the demand. So uh, with, with what they're doing, it, it looks possible for not a lot of effort because they're giving these away. Uh, they make them for about 50 cents. Uh, that's what the material cost is. Uh, but then it, they're turning out about a thousand a day. Uh, that they've been distributing. So I'm like, hey, if I've got volunteers that need stuff to do right now. Uh, and I've got some restricted gifts that I can't buy food with. So we're, we're going to partner with them. And they're looking for people to franchise with them uh, to make this happen. Which is another piece that we've been talking about. And that's why I wanted you to hit that. Is that hope, open hand of generosity is don't, don't have ministries look at each other as competitors. It's like, okay, there's another mission. They're going to be trying to get funds or they're trying to do something. It's like, well, find somebody who's doing something you're not doing and you can help them with. You know, that's, that, that's fantastic. Okay, last piece. Because I, 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 the reason we're doing this episode is I just want to get you all thinking in the right lines. I wanted to hit PPP that it works. And it's, here's somebody that it worked for. It and here's, here, here's ways that uh, you can be helping the people in your community and being blessed financially at the same time. Last piece is deals with how you guys are going to do ministry. So if you can't meet in the big room, 
for say three more months. What are you guys doing? Uh, it's interesting. One of your podcasts prior to this, you talked about what Stadia was mm. going to start planning churches online. Uh, mm-hmm. So when this first happened, uh, Charlie, my senior pastor, went to school with Greg, and I said, "Hey, why don't you call Greg up and see if we can't maybe sit at the back of the room and listen and see what they're doing?" So he did, and. Uh, one of the things we've decided is we're going to go all in uh, with our digital experience. Already, uh, I've really been proud of that team. And every week they get like 50% better <laughs> at what they do. Uh, because we've been doing it for a while. We broadcast uh, our, our weekend service. It, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but it, 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 it kind of is. So what we've learned here is we can really do this a lot more engaging, a lot better. Uh, so we plan on not slowing down. In fact, we're getting ready to start. Uh, we're going to do some production studio space with inside our building. So, you know, when we are on the other side of this, we think it's still going to be a very viable option to connect with people. The numbers that we've, we've had already, uh, we've went up, I think, in the last couple of weekends, like 80,000 minutes more uh, than we had you know, the first three weeks of this. So we know we are connecting uh, and we know we are getting better at telling the stories uh, of what God is doing through us. So we, we plan on just folding that in uh, to what we do. I don't know what, you know, it's going to be a new abnormal. I don't know what it's going to look like for us, but I really think, you know, we'll ride this horse till something else comes along and I'm hoping to learn from Stadia and do it hoping they give us the cheat codes. You know, well, us- I, and I, that's another thing I, I wanted to throw out there is because a lot of our clients that we've talked to over the last three weeks, you know, had online presence, but like you were saying, it's something they offered. It was a sideline issue where now it's like, okay, that's the only thing we can do as far as the worship experience gathering together kind of electronically with all these screens. But the exponential part of that is amazing. So Greg Laurie, uh, pastor down California, Calvary Chapel Church on Easter, they had 1.3 million, you know, screens. Yeah, it, 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 it's a big church, but it's not 1.3 million. <laughs> and that just says, okay, out of this, this frustration and emergency where we can't do business as usual comes the, the mother of invention, comes for us saying, okay, how do we use technology and actually affect lives in a positive way? I think one of the coolest things you've told me in this whole thing is where he said, hey, exotic dancers, which I've got other churches that have reached out to exotic dancers and helped them with different things and, and had a lot of life change stories that are really cool. But you said, hey, they're going to fall through the cracks, food, and but you could have stopped there and said, but what if we did a worship thing just for them electronically? Instead of just sending them a note, say, hey, why don't you tune into southbrook.org? Um, I, I think that's the out-of-the-box stuff that I'm hoping all the folks that are listening to the podcast will – put that through the iteration that works for them. Yeah. You are doing a good job, man. I appreciate it. I feel like, I feel like I'm working for uh, my senior pastor has been here over 30 years. I feel like I got a 21 year old, just got his first church. Uh, <laughs> he's excited. Cause he, I think he feels like what we're doing now is relevant. Right. You know? 
we're, we're able to meet people's needs uh, through the generosity of, of people and the, and the wisdom uh, that God gives us. We're, the church has an opportunity to be really rel- relevant while the world is looking. So it's, it's humbling. Well said. Uh, one of my fears, and I've said this for years, is that most churches in the United States in particular spend all week in their budget trying to pull off next Sunday at 10 o'clock. And now all of a sudden you can't come together next Sunday at 10 o'clock. So it makes you really look and say, okay, how do we be the church? You know, how do we be the church in this circumstance? Sean Case has been my guest, executive pastor at Southbrook Christian Church, Miamisburg, Ohio. If you'd like to learn more about what they're doing, go to southbrook.org. Charlie, senior pastor, he's referred to. Charlie likes a good challenge. So that makes makes sense for Charlie. He's excited about all this. Um, I, I think you all have stories that are listening. We've been blessed to have hundreds and hundreds of leaders every episode uh, download our podcast. Uh, send us some of those. Go to thegivingchurch.com, and info is a button there. And send us some of your stories, what you are doing that's making a difference, being the church during this challenging time. If you didn't go talk to your bank about PPP, uh, please do. Uh, I get nothing out of it, man. I'm this one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And I, I think you ought to look at that. Sean, thanks for being our guest. Thanks, Phil. Tune in next time for The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host, also the founder of thegivingchurch.com. Go find more about what we do and more resources at thegivingchurch.com. Thank you.